loving shepherd of my soul keep me close i love you so lead me where the waters flow in your rich green pasture be my guide i'm in your care keep my feet from every snare i will follow anywhere you call me to go thank you lord thank you lord i will thank you lord in your will i'm content i'll not wish for more i will seek your kingdom first i will trust all that you do thank you lord thank you lord i rejoice in you shepherd of eternity all my future you can see show me what is best for me i trust in your goodness in the valley i'll not fear through the storm your voice i hear your strong arm is always near i rest in your love thank you lord thank you lord i will thank you wish for more. I will seek your kingdom first. I will trust all that you do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I rejoice in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, my wife came home from that mother-daughter luncheon, and she said everything was just so perfect, so good. And she said, I think maybe the best thing in the whole luncheon was Katie's solo. She said it was so sweet. It was nice. I mean, it was really nice. You know, when you're the pastor, you can just kind of get things in when you want to get it done, you know. 
So I called Kira. I looked at the special music schedule. And I said, it looks like we're going to have to make a, a switch sometime in the next week or so because Katie's going to go to, what, Virginia this next week. How many years is it? Anniversary? Hmm? 20 years? Okay, her father's been the pastor of the church there in Virginia for 20 years, and they're having this big celebration. So she's going to go and be a part of that weekend. So I said, you know what, Carrie, can you work it out where she can just go ahead and sing tonight, and whoever's going to, whoever's going to sing tonight can sing next week or something like that. Could we work out a switch? So Because I wanted to hear this. The only, the only thing was we got no spaghetti or lasagna to go with it, okay? I would have liked that too, okay? Uh, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians. That's a wonderful song. I appreciate the message of that song. That was a blessing to us. Ephesians, please, chapter 6. Ephesians 6. By the way, men, we are going to have a dinner. Trust me. I've had so many men have said, where's our dinner? And my answer was, uh, whenever you want to get some men together and plan it. That's what my wife did. Got some ladies over to the house one night, and they planned that special lunch. So we need a men's dinner. And I don't know if we want to have it at the church or if we want to go to... Um, they don't have a banquet room at Texas Roadhouse. I could work that out, you know. But we'll find some place to go or some special night. We want to have a, we need to have a men's, a men's eat out is what we need to do, okay? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. We saw back in chapter 5, verse 18, the beginning of a, a section, the close of one section and beginning of another section of this passage in Ephesians. Ephesians 5.18, we're told not to be controlled by wine, be not drunk with wine, we're in as excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And one of the results of being filled with the Spirit is found in verse 21, that we will be submitting one to another, one to each, we'll be submitting to each other, submit yourselves, uh, submitting one to another yourselves, one to another in the fear of God. And then that began a section that actually goes all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. As we have this, this, this uh, message of mutual submission, first of all, God tells wives to be in submission to their husbands, chapter uh, uh, 5, verses 22 to 24. Then in the verses that follow, 25 to the end of that chapter, God tells husbands to be submissive to their wives even while they are loving them as their leader. They are to be submissive to them in meeting their needs, whatever they are. Then God says, let's talk about the children. Children are to be submissive to their parents as they obey and honor their parents. And God says, fathers, let's not leave you out. You, in, in one sense, you are submissive to your children because like a husband to a wife, you're to do whatever it takes to meet the needs of your children, especially try your best. Do, do not uh, provoke them to anger, but make sure that your whole ministry as a father is summed up or summarized in bringing up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So as you meet their needs, there's no room there for selfishness for self-centeredness, you submit to your children and do whatever it takes to meet their needs as you rear them for Christ. And then we have just one more um, passage here regarding being uh, submissive, and there's, there's one more relationship that God deals with in this area, and it's the master-servant relationship. This is the only relationship here that is outside of the immediate family. It's our topic for the message tonight. Would you follow along, please, in your Bibles as I read Ephesians chapter 6. And I'd like to read verses 5 through 9, okay? Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of, heart, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And then he says, and ye masters, do the same things unto them. 
forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So tonight we want to look at the responsibility of the servants to masters, and then just briefly at the end of the message, what about the master's responsibility to their servants? And you will see that, again, those key words are the idea of being submissive, okay, yielding to. Slavery was really common when God led Paul to write these things. I know slavery is always a, a big issue. We're not going to preach on, the, uh, on slavery tonight, but I just want to kind of summarize for you if I could. Uh, and, and I think Dr. John MacArthur in his commentary in Ephesians, I think he, he, he says pretty much what all of the men say, but I, I like the way he puts it. I think it's the easiest to understand. Uh, it just makes good sense when you hear it together. Okay, so John MacArthur says this about slavery at that time. He says, Scripture never advocates slavery. But it recognizes it, is, it recognizes it as an element of ancient society that could have been more beneficial if slaves and masters had treated each other properly. He goes on to say, slaves in both Greek and Roman had no legal rights and were treated as commodities. There was much abuse and seldom good treatment of slaves. The Bible does not speak against slavery itself, but against its abuses. Let me read that again, just that last part. Slaves in both Greek and Roman culture had no legal rights and were treated as commodities. There was much abuse and seldom good treatment of slaves. The Bible does not speak against slavery itself, but it does speak against the abuses of slavery. And so Paul, like the Lord Jesus Christ... He did not condemn slavery at that time. He rather, he used it as an opportunity to help God's people receive the instruction that they needed spiritually to help them in these situations. And really, when you think about slavery in the Bible, especially the New Testament here, I mean, the greatest, obviously, undoubtedly, the greatest lesson that we can learn from the subject of servants and masters in the New Testament epistles, and really in the Gospels also, is, is really... Lessons to learn as a Christian, as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many, not all, many of the epistles, uh, both Paul, James, John, and uh, Peter, many of these epistles begin, or somewhere toward the beginning, it's like, like Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. I love, the, I love the epistle of James. How does James start? He says, James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when they used the word servant there, the idea was, a, the meaning there was a bond slave. It was not forced slavery. It was volunteer, voluntary uh, slavery. And, and why wouldn't it be, what could be better than to have the Lord Jesus Christ as our master, amen? I mean, when you think of the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect master, surely any believer saved by the grace of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ would want to say, Lord, I am your servant. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And so there are some tremendous lessons for Christians when you think about the subject of a Christian being a servant, having the master of Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the topic here. It's not the main message here. But as we do preach on this tonight, you can be thinking about that. Because really what we have here regarding servants obeying and submitting to and, and dealing under their, how, how to effectively serve under a master is really good for Christians. But Paul here, he upholds the duties and the, of the slave and the master. And if you want to kind of take a, make a, take a say, a modern parallel to uh, life today, as we preach through this, you could be thinking of the employer-employee relationship. Most people believe that Paul here is writing to Christian slaves. There were many Christian slaves at that time. Some of them had Christian masters. Many of them, or perhaps most of them, did not have masters who were believers writes first of all to these servants 
And as we think about that tonight and what these servants were supposed to be like, what they're supposed to do, what is their job description, what's supposed to be their motivation, their attitude, you can put yourself, you can be thinking of the word employee. You're not the you're not the CEO, you're not the supervisor, you're not the manager, you're the employer. You're not the employer, the one who does the employing. You are on the employee end of it. You're the one who serve as here, basically, is as a servant. And you can think about it that way tonight. Now, we believe that Paul here was referring to Christian slaves and probably, for the most part, Christian service. There's no written uh, letter to unsaved servants or unsaved masters how they're supposed to live. There is, a, there is one other passage of Scripture that's a parallel passage that does deal with this servant-master relationship. In fact, let's just go there quickly and we'll come right back here. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. Because in 2 Peter chapter 2, there doesn't seem to be any doubt about the fact that um, Christian master, that the masters in 2 Peter were not Christians. This, this would be unsaved masters, okay? 2 Peter chapter 2, and I believe it's verses 18 through 20, if I'm not mistaken, okay? 2 Peter 2. Ooh, do I have the wrong passage? Hold on, please. I'm sorry. Let's go to 1 Peter. That'll work. That's what I have in my notes, 1 Peter, but it's in parentheses. And without my glasses, it looks like there's three of them there. Okay? Okay. 1 Peter chapter 1. There you go. Verses 18, 19, and 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For, to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffer wrongfully. For what glory is it when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So there's an exhortation here for Christians. What happens when you have a master who's, who's not a believer? God says that your responsibility is the same. You submit yourselves and you obey even if you're treated harshly. Now go back to our text again. I told you it wouldn't stay there long. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Because God begins here then by giving some exhortation to from, from the servant aspect. He talks to the servant first. And there's several things that God says uh, servants should remember in their relationship with their master. And those uh, things are found in verses 5 through 8. And we'll just take them one after the other, okay? First of all, he says your first responsibility is, in fact, a, whole, a summary of the whole passage would be, look, you are to submit to and obey with the right attitude and the right motivation. Keep your attitude right. Make sure your motive is right. And then he says you be submissive and you obey your masters. That's a summary of this entire passage. First of all, he said you're to be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Verse 5, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. So what's this phrase according to the flesh? It can mean two things. Most men believe that it's basically what he's saying here is these are human masters. He's making it plain here. This has nothing to do with serving the Lord Jesus Christ as your master. Now, he does mention that in just a moment. But we're here he's saying, look, just be obedient to your servants. Submit to yourselves. Be obedient to your, ma to your masters after the flesh. Those that, are, those that are human beings. 
there are some who believe that the focus here would be on as you think of being a servant and you're under a master, whether Christian or non-Christian, you are to be obedient in all things uh, as it has to do with, with life and money and work and so forth. In other words, this is not a spiritual thing. He's not talking about getting spiritual direction. He's not talking about spiritual eternal things. It's not that the master is giving out commands that have to do with spiritual things. And so he says, you know, you be obedient. You, you, be, you be submissive to, no, this is the things after the flesh. These are the things regarding the body and material things, not spiritual eternal matters. And then notice he says, obey, be obedient to them. When we brought the message a few weeks ago on, from verse 1, maybe it was last week, in fact, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. We said the meaning of the word obey there is to hear. It's two words. It's from two words to hear and under. So the idea is it's telling a child, a young person right off the bat, listen, you are hearing and under your dad, your mom. You are not in charge. You're not equal. They are over you in the chain of command, and you are hearing under them. And it's the same thing here for the servant. He says, listen, your attitude toward your master should be an attitude of submission. Your obedience comes from an attitude of submission because basically... You are under the master. Don't ever forget that. And so your attitude should be, listen, I'm going to hear what my master tells me to do, but I'm not just going to be listening to what he has to say because he's my master. I'm going to be listening to what he has to say with the idea being I'm listening so I can do it because that is my job. When he says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. It's remember, he's the master. You're the servant. You're under him. And as he speaks, you be listening. Keep your ears open. You listen to what he says to do, and you just do what he tells you to do. He's under the master in the chain of command. What about the word uh, master? Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. The Greek word for masters here is kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S. The very same word that's used whenever you have the word Lord referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, kurios. So it's the idea of you're under a master, the meaning there of, of Lord being a, a supreme commander. Now we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the supreme commander, amen? He is God, he was God in human flesh, he was eternal God, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, the word, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ is master, when he's curious, I mean, he is over everyone and everything. It's a little different, but here the meaning, the word is the same because the servant should have the idea, listen, my master is my supreme commander. He is in charge. He's in the place where he gives the orders and God says, you obey him. Number two. Notice, please, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. And then he says, with fear and trembling. What is this being under your master, being obedient with fear and trembling? Would you go back to chapter 5, just up a few verses. Go to look, look at verse 33, because God uses that same word when he talks about the wife. He says, nevertheless, let every one of you, this is chapter 5, verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, that's husband to wife. And then he says, and the wife, see that she, next word please, reverence. And the wife, make sure wife, that you reverence your husband. That word reverence there is exactly the same Greek word as the word fear in our text tonight. And so you say, well, did you tell us that that word reverence there, that this word fear, does it actually come from a word which means to be afraid of or to be frightened? It really does. 
So when God says servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. That word fear does have in it the meaning of being afraid or being frightened. But from that comes the meaning of respecting highly or, or reverencing like we have here that see that she reverenced her husband regarding the wife. So that's the attitude behind the obedience. That's the attitude behind the submission that the servant has a deep respect for his master. He, he has some reverence, so to speak, in his heart toward his master. Then he says, not only with fear, he says, be obedient with fear and trembling. So look up the word trembling now in a Greek concordance. What does it mean? It means to quake with fear, okay? So listen, if there is no being afraid in the fear part, but you only say, well, that's just about reverence and respect, which most believe, then there's still, there's still an aspect here of being afraid of your master, being frightened regarding your master, because it does say with fear and trembling, meaning to quake and with fear, or with, to, to quake with fear. See, the idea here is, listen, you got two things. First of all, although the master's treatment of the slave might be such that he doesn't deserve respect, God says that's not the issue. You still respect him because of his position. He is over you, and you serve him with fear and trembling, with reverence, with respect, and with a sense of being afraid of quaking because, remember, he is in charge. That's exactly what God is saying here when he says, serve him, be obedient with fear and trembling. There are some, not many, but there are some who say that may not be the meaning here of trembling. It is the meaning of the word trembling. But the idea of being afraid or being frightened or quaking with fear is more the idea of, listen, a servant says, I don't know if I can do that. I'm afraid I'm going to come short there. I know what God is telling me to do. Because God is telling me to be submissive, because God is telling me to be obedient. But when I think of my master, and I'm supposed to be submissive to him, I'm supposed to reverence him and respect him and obey him and be in subjection to him. I don't know if I can do that. I'm afraid that I'll come short of that. I'm afraid I'm not going to be the servant that God tells me to be. I know I'm going to need help with that. I don't trust myself to be able to do have you ever Have you ever thought about your Christian life and, and all the things that God tells a person to do as a Christian? Has there ever been a time, I hope you can say yes, when you thought, boy, you know, I'm really afraid I'm going to fall short of that. I know I'm not going to lose my salvation. I know I'm going to have rewards of my heavenly Father in heaven, but I know of all of the things that God expects me to do, tells me to do, the things I'm supposed to do. And, and I know, I think I know me. I think I know my weaknesses. I think I know my tendencies. I, I, I'm afraid that I can't live up to that. It's not a bad attitude, folks. You know why? Because it, it's, it's in those moments we say when we say, okay, I can't. But I can do all things through, come on, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And I hope, I hope that every day, sometime during every day, I hope that every believer in this assembly has this thought go through his mind. I don't think I can do this. I fear that I can't do this as I should. But you know what? That's why I have the Holy Spirit living within me 
because I can't, but he can. And that's why God says I need to be filled with the spirit. I need to be controlled with the spirit because I'm afraid of how I might respond. I'm afraid that I won't live up to what I'm supposed to do. I'm afraid I can't pull that off. I'm afraid I can't be that person. I'm afraid I can't do that. But you know what? I can't. But that's why we have the Holy Spirit to control us. And your mind goes right back to Ephesians 5.18. And be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with spirit. And by the way, when you start thinking like that and living like that, you'd be surprised how many things you can do that you never thought you could do. Because you become very much aware of the fact it's really not me. It's God's spirit dwelling within me. He's the key here. So there are some who say this is the idea here of fear and trembling, of quaking with fear. It's fearing that I might not be what I'm supposed to be. And then we say, I need the Holy Spirit to help me. Number three tonight, slaves were to obey their masters. Notice, please, in singleness of your heart, verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. In singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Heart here is cardia or cardia. We, we have a cardiologist. My cardiologist is Dr. Souter. My wife, Ronald Souter. My wife's cardiologist is uh, Dr. John Williams. Okay, she's at Mercy Hospital. That guy, I'm down at Integris. If we're ever in a hospital at the same time for heart attacks, we'll be separated, okay? <laughs> we'll come back together when we're well. Okay, but we have a cardiologist, a heart specialist. That's the word here, cardia. And God says that we as servant is to be obedient to his master with in singleness of heart, cardia. And really, it refers here mainly more to the mind, the thinking, our thought process. He says in, in singleness, he says with singleness of your heart. Singleness speaks of sincerity. It speaks of sincerity. It speaks of uh, the absence of hypocrisy, especially it speaks of the absence of all self-seeking. So the servant is to focus on obeying his master in every detail, notice this please, with an undivided heart. That really is God's message here to a Christian servant. You just be submissive to your master. You just focus on obeying your master. You put your mind to being obedient, to being submissive to your master, and don't let anything distract you from that. Don't let anything divide. Listen, don't let things come across your mind that would keep from doing that. You singleness of heart with an undivided heart and by the way you know what he tells them how they can do this and it's right in the verse he says in singleness of heart notice please as unto Christ and you're going to see in this verse and the verses that follow that just like the children they obey their parents in the Lord just like fathers are training their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, just like wives are being in subjection to their husbands as unto Christ, and their husband is loving the wife as Christ loved the church, it's the same for the husband, it's the same for the wife, it's the same for the children, it's the same for the father. Every person in their relationship with each other, the focus is out, it has to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. The wife is submitting to her husband as the church is subject to Christ. The husband is loving the wife as Christ loved the church. The children are obeying their parents in the Lord. And they're with, and it's well-pleasing unto the Lord in Colossians. And then the, the, the fathers, they're not provoking their children to wrath. They're bringing them up to nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now he says the same thing for servants. you got to get your eyes off yourself. And you got to put your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a Christian. He is your Savior. He is really your master. But right now, in the flesh, you are under somebody else. 
you're under a master, and today an employee is under an employer. There's somebody over me, and God says, this is how you treat this person. This is your attitude. This is your motivation. But I know it seems impossible, like that might really be hard, especially if you have a harsh master. But remember, you do it with undivided heart, a singleness of heart as unto Christ. Just put your eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ and keep them there. That's the idea here of singleness of heart. And really what God is saying is here, listen, a Christian slave can serve the Lord Jesus Christ just as much as an evangelist. A Christian servant can serve the Lord Jesus Christ just as much as a pastor or a missionary or a Christian school teacher, a Christian music director. As much as a Christian governor or even a Christian president, you say, a slave can serve the Lord Jesus? Yeah, because the whole idea is we're serving the same Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever comes our way, our attitude is the same. I'm obeying, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Wherever God has put me, whatever position God has put me in. So who are you tonight? What is your job? Where do you work? Who's your boss? If you don't have a job, an outside job, you don't have a boss, then, well, how about at the house? Listen, God says, whoever you are, whatever your position is, whatever your job is, so to speak, you're serving the same Christ. And the important thing is, look, just do his will. And God is simply saying here to slaves, if you're not thinking that way, you're missing it. When life really gets difficult and you think, how can I do this? My master is so harsh. My master is so, he is so demanding. He is so inconsiderate. It's just overwhelming to me. God says, just remember, your job is to do what you're supposed to do in obeying my will. That's all I expect of you. Would you go quickly, please, to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I think this is a very, very interesting couple of verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 20 through 22. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a, next word, servant? Are you a servant right now? Are you a Christian servant? Let every man abide, remain in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be free, okay, then use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You see what he's saying, I wish I had more time to explain this, but listen, if you are a Christian servant, you're a Christian and you're called to be in a place of service, then God says, don't try to get out of that, don't try to escape that, don't be disgruntled and discontent and so forth and feel like you can't stand it, you just do what you do for the Lord. If you have an opportunity to be free, then you're free as a Lord, but remember, you're the Lord's servant. And as I mentioned this morning, as I was preaching to, to mothers especially, it's so easy in this world today to be discontent. Nobody wants to stay where they are. Nobody wants to do what they're supposed to do. They just want to go someplace else, do something else. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And God says, listen, are you, are you a Christian servant? Then just, just serve the Lord. Keep your eye upon Christ. Be submissive. Be obedient. 
but have the right motive, have the right attitude. Just do my will. Trust me, I can help you. Obey with singleness of heart. Then would you look at the next phrase, please? He says, next, slaves were not to obey their masters. This is important. This is really good. With eye service as men pleasers. We go back to Ephesians. We go back to chapter 6, verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers. We call that sight labor. What is sight labor? Working only when somebody's watching you. When, as I prepared this message, I thought, you know what? If I was an employer in some business where I was hiring people to work for me, I think one of the biggest decisions that I would have to make as a Christian employer would be the policy on the job regarding your cell phone. You say, why would you say that? I go to so many places of business where people who have the uniform of the company or the restaurant or whatever, they have their cell phone in one hand, and, and at the golf course, they have their rake in one hand and a, and a cell phone in the other hand. You go to a restaurant, and the guy's trying to clean tables, but he's got a cell phone. He stops his, you know, his cell phone, and it's like, it seems like wherever you go, somebody's supposed to be working. He's got his cell phone in one hand, and he's trying to do something with the other hand, or he's doing nothing, and I'm thinking. And then what's really interesting is when the boss pulls up. Or when the boss comes in the room, then it's like, whoop, boy, they really start working hard. That's exactly what this is saying, don't do. You don't just work when your boss is watching you. But while your boss is not watching you, you do nothing or you do half job. Lazy, 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 do what you have to do uh, but when to get by. But now when the boss shows up, when he comes in the room, when he's on the scene, when he's in town, then I mean, then you are a hard worker. God says to a Christian slave, he says, that is wrong. Do not do that. Not with eye service as men pleasers. And that's the problem. And maybe you have that problem at work. Maybe you ought to just do some thinking yourself, okay? Are you really being honest? Are you working? Do you deserve the salary you're getting? If it's a salary or if it's by the hour, are you, are you working when you're supposed to work? It is so easy to find something else to do when I should be working. God says that is very poor for a Christian servant. Don't be serving with eye service as men pleases because the problem is, he says, you got, again, you got your focus in the wrong place. Instead of having your focus on your master, he is your master, and what he expects of you, and instead of you're focusing, instead of focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, your, your master above all masters, he said, you got your master, you got your focus on yourself. And that is like, I don't feel like working. That's like, I hate this job. If I could get another job, I'd get another job. I don't like my master. I'm being mistreated. I'm not getting the money that I deserve. Somebody else just got a promotion. I didn't get one. I didn't get a promotion. He got a promotion. Okay. Then I'm not doing much around here. Oh, well, here comes the master, you know. And away he goes. He says, the problem is you're selfish. You are self-centered. You have your focus on yourself and not on your master and not on your Lord. Don't do that. Notice, please, again, that that's the key because look what he says. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ. See, there's the key. You don't just work because your master's watching you. You got to remember, Christ is watching me all the time. I'm responsible to him. I'm to do what I do because of what he tells me to do. 
and I love him, and I will. And that's why, look what he leads right into. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ. He says, doing the will of God from the heart. So your focus is upon the Lord. Here we have that word heart again, but the word here, heart, is not cardia. The word heart here is a different word. It's suke. And it means literally your, your very soul. I put it down this way. Your very being just cries out to always just do the will of God. Hey, listen, whoever you are tonight, whatever your job is, whatever your responsibility is, is it possible? It is possible. It's reality. Is it possible that you would become a totally different person on the job if your only thought was this? It is a privilege to do the will of God as a Christian. And if this is the place where the Lord has put me, this is the job God has given me, then I am not going to focus on all of the problems and all the disappointments and all the things that I don't like and everything else. I'm going to focus on one thing. I'm going to do the will of God from the heart because the most wonderful thing, the passion of my life is to do the will of my Heavenly Father. Is it possible you would be a different person on the job? And somebody would probably notice it real fast. Dr. Albert Barnes said this. I like this. He said, God requires industry. God requires fidelity. God, requi God requires a consensus, consensus behavior all the time. God requires submission. God requires obedience in every rank of life. Then he says this. We render acceptable service to God. When with regard to his will, we perform the services which are demanded of us in the situation in life we may be placed, however humble that may be. Did you get that last part? We render acceptable service to God. When from regard to his will, his will, we perform the services which are demanded of us in the situation in life where we may be placed, however humble that may be. Even being a servant. A person in a low position as a servant has a tremendous opportunity to live in the will of God just like a person who might have the very, very best job you could ever have. I know when I was a student at Bob Jones University, when I got down there as a freshman, I needed to work. I had a work loan scholarship. I had to work. My first job was what's called vegetable preparation crew. I have terrible memories just even saying the words. You say, what did you do as a vegetable preparation crew guy? I had to get up really, 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 really early morning. I'm not a get up early guy. I mean, I get up now 6.30 in the morning, uh, but that's even hard for me. But, you know, I'm not a go to bed early guy either. I mean, if I, if I go to bed before midnight, I wake up at 4 o'clock and think it's time to get going here. You know, I can't go to bed too early. I have a miserable night. So here I am at Bob Jones as a freshman. I got to get up really, really early. I got to get cleaned up, get showered. I got to go to the kitchen. I check into the kitchen with a head cook. Now, remember, when I was there, there's about 5,500 students. That's a lot of students. And I go to the head cook, and he gives me sheets of paper that have all of the ingredients he needs to cook everything for the entire day. He hands me these lists. I go downstairs in the kitchen. Below the kitchen was a huge, like a warehouse down there, huge warehouse. And I have this thing 
and I, I don't drive around. I push it around, and I load up all the stuff. I load up a case of this, five cases of this, ten cases of this, two cases. I get all the stuff. I go to the elevator. I go upstairs. I unload it all somewhere in the kitchen there where it's close to the head cook there. Then I go back down. I keep getting all the stuff. When I get all finished with that, that was the good part. That's, that's, that was the fun part. Then I go to the head dietitian who's in charge of the salad department. And she gives me a list of everything she needs for the whole day to fix anything that has to do with salads for the entire student body and all the faculty and staff. And I go in the same place. I go down the elevator. I go downstairs. I go to the big salad department in the warehouse, and I get all this stuff, and I bring up. And, man, you got to, you know, bang these things of lettuce, and you do this with a cabbage, and you do this with a carrots. And Would you like to try to peel three or four bushels of onions? Would you like to peel sack after sack or sack after sack? How do you... How do you, like potatoes, how do you peel potatoes for thousands of students? You take the old thing, there's this big old round thing, and, it, and you, you dump it, you dump a sack of potatoes in this thing, and they spin around, the thing's got sharp things inside, it takes all the skins off, you open the door and all, you get the idea, and, and, and that's what I did. I did that until I had everything done, then I would go back to my dorm, change clothes if you had time, you know, run off to class. I hated that job. I hated that job. And then I was also, I worked as a, as a bus boy. I'm going, on, I'm this for the evening meal. I'm going from table to table. I'm getting all, the, I'm getting all the, the, the glasses and the plates and all that and stacking them up in these big old trays and then taking them into the dishwasher. And I hated that job worse. I said, you have a good attitude? I had a bad attitude. Slip all over the floor. And my, my legs really started hurting because I do have a big hunk of steel. I have a big steel plate in my left, in my left uh, leg. And I have about five screws about that long that hold it all together. And whenever I slip on something, it jars that. And I mean, it hurt badly. And it got where I could hardly do that. So they said, well, we'll, we'll switch you and put you on something else. And then one day, I get this call slip in my mailbox. And it says, would you please see Mrs. whatever her name, Jackson. Would you go see Mrs. Jackson in the administration building? I thought, now what have I done wrong now? I got to go see Mrs. Jackson, administration. But well, she's she's the one who who's over all the hiring. So I go in to see Mrs. Jackson, and she says, "Larry, you've been recommended for two jobs, and you can take your pick. We don't care which one you take." I thought to myself, "I don't know what she's going to say, but anything is better than what I'm doing. Anything would be better." She said, first of all, if you'd like, uh, you can work for the switchboard." You can go work on the switchboard. You can be a switchboard operator. Go upstairs in a little room in the administration building. And those are, now this is a long time ago, okay, but all the calls come in. You answer the calls. You plug in. You plug in. You do all that. And so you're there all by yourself, and you work during the night. She says, and whenever there's no calls coming in, you can study. Well, that sounded kind of nice. I thought that sounded nice, you know. But at the same time, there's nobody up there but me. And I'm thinking, I'm going to sit in this room for, for six, seven, eight hours and just answer the phone, you know, and plug people in and all that. Man, I like to be around people. It just sounds better than what I'm doing. Okay, I didn't tell her that. And then she says, or you can work at the information desk. Now, I got really excited about that. I don't have time to tell you what it meant to work at the information desk in the administration building, but anybody who's ever been at Bob Jones University would agree that is obviously the very, it's got to be the very best possible job you could ever have on campus. And she said, if you'd like to do that, you can do that. And I said, I'll take it. It was a wonderful, wonderful job. It was a whole lot different than vegetable preparation crew. It was a whole lot different than being a busboy. But in the sight of God, the big issue is not, is this a prestige job? Is this the best job you can ever get? Is this a fun job? The question is, what is God's will for my life and will I do it? 
What would, my, what would my attitude be? What would be? What would be my motive as I seek to do the will of God in whatever job he gives me? And I'll be the first one to admit I really struggled with having a right attitude being on the vegetable preparation crew, I really struggled with having the right attitude while I was a busboy. And I have thanked God more times than you can ever imagine that I got to work for three and a half years at the information desk at Bob Jones University. And it wasn't because I deserved it. It had to be by the grace of God. And it prepared me for Christian service more than any other job you could ever imagine. If you knew what I did while I was there, if you knew what that job involved, you would know that there is no better job you could ever have to prepare you for Christian leadership in working with people and working with young people and, and doing all kinds of things. It, it's just, it was a marvelous job, and it was really by the grace of God. And God says to these servants, okay, you don't have those prestige jobs. You don't have the best job. He said, but here's what you do. You'll be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. With your fear and trembling and singleness of your heart is unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, look at this, with good will. And the word good will there means with kindness. It means kindness. But with good will. Doing service as to the Lord. Again, he comes right back. As to the Lord and not unto men. And look how he ends in verse 8. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. God says, hey, listen, don't forget something. You may be mistreated. You might really struggle with your position. But you do what you're supposed to do with the right attitude, with the right motive. And you keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you do what you do because that is God's will at that time in your life. And you don't do this pleasing men only when they're looking you work. No, you keep your eye upon the Lord and you serve him with all of your heart. Just rejoice that you get to do his will and you do it to the best of your ability. And God says, remember, your master may not even say thank you. He might never say, I appreciate what you're doing. He might not make your life really pleasant. But God says, don't forget, you have a master in heaven who sees, who knows all things. He knows your attitude. He knows your motives. He knows your actions. He hears every word you say, and you do what you do as unto him. And he says, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. God will one day reward you for your faithfulness. Don't ever forget that. I'm going to just mention one other thing tonight, and then we'll close, and we'll, I'll deal with masters in another message, okay? Because there is another parallel passage where God gives to Christian employees another reason for obeying all these commands given in Ephesians 6 as a servant. Would you go there in closing tonight? Would you go to Titus chapter 2? Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, please. And look at verses 9 and 10. Exhorts, this is Paul writing to a pastor now, Titus. He says, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Why? That they may adorn the doctrine of God 
our Savior in all things. They may adorn the doctrine of God in all things. And so another reason to be a good, I'm going to say now as employees, okay, for whoever you are tonight, because you're probably not a slave and don't have a master, but you might feel like your boss is a real good master, okay, or a bad master, but you're probably an employer, okay, an employee. God says, listen, there's another reason to be a faithful, hardworking employee with the right attitude and right motive and doing what you do for God. He says, because somebody is watching you and your testimony is really important. The people that you work with, they should know there's something wrong if they don't even know. If you've worked with them for several weeks or months or years and they don't even know if you're a Christian, there's something wrong that you'd have to agree with that. And everybody you work around should know, you know what, she's a Christian. He's a Christian. Everybody should know that. Your boss should know that you're a Christian. I hope he knows that. I hope she knows that. And whether you know it or not, they are watching you. And it's just, they're not just watching to see how hard does he work? How, does she deserve a promotion? Are we going to supposed to fire her? What are we supposed to do? No, it's more than that. They want to know if you really live out what you say you believe. They want to know if what you say you believe is real. It's about your testimony. What a shame for a person to be working someplace where others with whom he or she works including their boss for whom they work, and they don't have a good testimony because they're lazy. They're always late. They're not honest. They're not dependable. They only work when they know they're being watched. They cut corners. They steal some things once in a while from the company, whatever else it's like. What kind of Christian testimony is that? He says that they might adorn the doctrine of Christ. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Don't turn to it. I'll read it and we're done. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verses 1 and 2. It goes like this. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters... Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So remember, if you have a Christian boss or an unsaved boss, your responsibility should be exactly the same. And it's all about what about your testimony? What impression are they getting of the Lord Jesus Christ? What is their concept of a Christian as they observe you? Oh, how important it is that we are right in this. Would you bow your heads, please? We can think tonight of ourselves as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and learn many lessons from this passage of Scripture. If you have a job, you're an employee, and you receive a paycheck from your employer, then listen, every phrase in this passage of Scripture can give you some very strong and important words of not just advice, but exhortation from God on how to be the right kind of employee. Our Father, we thank you tonight for the practicality of your word. You haven't just told us how to have eternal life, how to have our sins forgiven. You've told us how to live as a Christian, how to live in our homes, how to live outside the homes, even on the job. 
What a practical, plain passage of Scripture, and I pray that it will do us good tonight. Lord, change the attitude of somebody here that is struggling with their responsibility at work, whether it's where they are, what they're doing, for whom they're working, what they're receiving in pay, their benefits, their schedule, jobs they have to do. From beginning to end, Lord, I just pray that you will help them to just thank you for the opportunity they have to have a job and to try to put their focus upon Christ as we've seen over and over again, I think four times in this simple passages, short passages, Lord, to keep our eyes upon Christ and to be faithful just doing his will. We thank you that one day you will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please, if you will? Ask our pianist tonight once again to play through a verse of a song. And as I always do, I would suggest that you bow your head and talk with the Lord about what he has said in his word tonight. So do your, with your relationship to the Lord as you're a servant of Christ, whether it has to do with your situation at work, whatever it is, that tonight you talk with the Lord. If you need to confess something, this is a great time to do it. If you need to ask the Lord's help, you say, I, I, I know what I know what I'm supposed I just, I don't know if I can do Okay, this is a good time to pray about that. Lord, when I go to work tomorrow, would you fill me with your spirit and control me and make tonight's message a reality in my life? Whatever is on your heart, you pray about it, please, and then we'll close. Brother Michael, would you close tonight in prayer, please? Would you do that? By the way, any of you men want to gather together for prayer again tonight? We'll meet you in the cafeteria, okay?